welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. We have two very special guests on this week's ABCA podcast with the Kansas City Royals, Sean Plock and Mike Arbuckle. Plock is the manager of sport development for the Royals. Arbuckle is the senior advisor of the GM for scouting and player development. Both have a wealth of experience in the game, Plock previously worked for PBR, Building Champions, and coached at Avila. Arbuckle has worked at every level of professional baseball as a scout, getting start in scouting with the Phillies and Braves. Arbuckle was the assistant GM for the Phillies before coming over to the Royals. The Kansas City Royals have been at the forefront of community involvement in youth baseball and softball. Their Urban Youth Academy is a phenomenal facility in the heart of Kansas City. The Royals recently started the Royals Amateur Development System, RADS, which has a website full of information for youth baseball development. The Royals are in partnership with 15 youth leagues in the Metro Kansas City area in both baseball and softball. The link to the website is royals.mobilecoach.org. Let's welcome Sean Plock and Mike Arbolka to the podcast. Hi, Mike. How you doing? How are you? I'm great. Doing well. Phenomenal. All right. Actually, have you been to our convention before, the ABC convention? Uh, I have, but it's been a few years. Let's see, probably six or seven years now, I would guess. I was trying to think if I met you with J.J. Piccola one year at the convention. You very well may have. I think I I met you briefly, like at check-in one year at the convention with J.J. Yeah, very possible. Yeah, I think the last one I attended was in Nashville at the Opryland. Okay, because J.J., uh, I coached at JMU, and J.J. uh, drafted Dan Meyer when Dayton and J.J. were at the Braves. They took him in the first round. Okay. Really good left-hander. He got up to the big leagues with athletics. Um, Yeah. Really good arm for us with with, uh, – at JMU. He's awesome. It's okay. good, good development story because he was like 83 to 85 his freshman year. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was a skinny kid from New Jersey. He had never been in the weight room and um, and got got really good. He wanted to fight the fans his freshman year. He, he was in our rotation. We had a young, my first year at JMU, we had a bunch of young players that were really good. But he, he had never been um, 
you know, Jersey's kind of fake tough from Jersey, but he'd never been in that environment before. He didn't make it out of the first, and then he was going to run into the stands after their fans, and I had to grab him and throw him against the back of the dugout to keep him from going after the fans at Clemson. Well, after fans. (laughs) Well, there was evidently a tough side in there for him. Yes. But as my dad would say, hey, just pitch better. Like, if you don't want the fans on you, like, pitch better or play better. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. You'd yeah, go you'd to down by pitching well. So. You'd go to Wichita with Gene and and Brent and those guys, and it'd be like your grandparents screaming at you at Wichita. And my dad would be like, "Hey, if you don't want them to yell at you, just beat them." And so we did. Yeah, we, we beat Wichita a few times there, which is the best because then those grandparents were turning on their players at Wichita. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah. Gene, Gene, beer going out right that so. Yep, old Gino. So I appreciate you two jumping on with me. I know you're you're both busy, but I appreciate you doing this. So it means a lot. No, Happy thank you for it. having us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. All right, here with Sean Plock, manager of the sport development uh, for the Royals. Uh, was also with PBR, building champions. Coached at Avila, where he played, and then Mike Arkbuckle, senior advisor to to the GM, scouting and player development for the Royals, but was with the Phillies forever as scouting director. So I appreciate you guys jumping on with me. Thanks for having us. Happy to do it. We rolled the big guns out for this one. That's it. I don't know about that, but uh, we're always up for talking baseball. I know that. Yeah. And Sean, you know, it seems like the White Sox kind of got this going with the ACE program, but then it seems like the Royals have kind of taken the ball and rolled with it. I remember being in Jupiter, seemed like the Royal scout team was one of the first scout teams that, that I remember seeing in Jupiter. And I think Eric Hosmer was on one of those teams. I know there's a lot of form, future big leaguers that played for those Royals teams, but what was it for you guys? Okay. The White Sox kind of start this thing. What was it for you all that said, okay, we need to kind of get this thing going with the Royals. Yeah, it's definitely evolved since then. Uh, we started really becoming more um, uh, aggressive with it, I guess, in 2016 from week to week um, with, with uh, you know, growing Dayton's son's group and, uh, you know, just playing more of an impact in those kids as they started entering high school, uh, you know, with their development from week to week instead of two or three times a year, you know, and, you uh, you know, a lot of it is just more um, than 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 the on the field uh, part of the development. You know, we're we're trying to get these kids to learn how to self manage. Uh, you know, a, a little bit off the field as well. So that's kind of you know um, where we've gone in the last four or five years um, since since uh, we started really going week to week. Um, you know, with, with our teams, and you know they travel together, they stay together. Um, you know, we we do some of the same stuff that our our minor league. Uh, um, players would do with with some of the game plan, the educational stuff that we have, and and just uh, you know individual development both on and off the field, and and so I, I think you know we're kind of pleased with the feedback that we get from some of the some of the college coaches that take our kids and some of the players that are have have, have been drafted, you know ho- hopefully have a little bit more information on them, and and you know we have some um, you know we we played a more of an impact in their in their personal development, not just with their baseball development. You know, and that's a service thing. So for somebody that maybe doesn't have something like this in their area, and for anybody that hasn't seen the Royals Academy in, in Kansas City, it's phenomenal. Um, but they do a lot of training there and, and life skills training too. For somebody that maybe doesn't have this in their area, how can they maybe start to get the ball rolling with something like this? 
Well, our outreach, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a regional franchise. So we're, we're obviously trying to impact, you know, Missouri and Kansas, you know, Iowa, Arkansas. So we've had, we've had some reach into, you know, different parts. Um, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, if, if anybody wants to pick our brain on how to start a program or, or to grow this, you know, they, they could feel free to contact us, but, you know, one is is just make sure that you're committed to the to the to the player, not only on and off the field, and you know have a plan that that is kind of a long term. You know, we've we've done a lot with USA uh, Baseball and tried to follow their plan, and uh, you know it's a good place to start. You know, just trying to um, you know follow what they what they've put out on on websites, and you know just use your resources, and and, and hopefully we can be a resource for. For programs that that kind of want to do what we're doing, or or um, you know, kind of grow what they already have. You know, for youth parents, coaches, players listening in right now, I mean, what recommendations would you have for them, or what would you guys like to see out of youth baseball right now that maybe you're not seeing? I personally, I think it's really important. We we all started playing the game because it was fun to play, and I think. Just we need to take the pressure off younger kids and just have fun, number one. Uh, I, I think today's kids, they're used to being active. They're used to video games. They're used to immediate feedback. So I think uh, organizing practices so there's not a lot of standing around where kids get bored. Uh, we need to set up practices where they move station to station. Uh, they can get through an hour and a half, two hour practice and really have maybe a couple water breaks, but otherwise they're on the move and doing things. So I think it's really important that we focus on practice organization and on keeping things fun and not putting a lot of pressure on kids. It's important to understand that the game is a game of failure. And so it's okay to fail. It's okay to strike out. It's okay to walk a batter. And parents and coaches have to understand that. And we keep preaching with our teams, stay aggressive. It's okay to make a mistake, but just stay aggressive and keep having fun and let's just keep going after it. Uh, And I think it develops an environment where kids will wanna stay in the game and continue to participate in the game rather than being driven away because of pressure from outside sources uh, that takes the fun away from the game for them. And Mike, we've talked about it multiple times on some of our youth podcasts is not necessarily creating, you're going to create future players, but you're also creating future fans, but also future parents that want to introduce their children to the game of baseball. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've gotten involved in the program as I, I've cut back after spending 45 years in baseball operations, I've cut back to a part-time situation. And my purpose in this is I want to help grow the game and I want to help kids. Well, we're, we know they're all not going to be major league players. They're not all going to be college players. And a lot of them aren't even going to be high school players. But if we're developing fans, we might be developing future umpires, scorekeepers, what have you. And, and the game is wonderful because it's a, you can carry it from generation down to the next generation. And so if we can develop a love for the game in kids as they become adults, 
hopefully they're going to carry that same love for the game to their kids. And so we are continuing to uh, respect the game and grow the game, while at the same time, I think we're able to help a lot of kids stay in a positive direction as they grow up. Well, Mike, let me ask you this, too. You're around the highest of the high. You've been around big leaguers for a long time. How many of those players didn't have joy for the game? You know, I, I tell our kids all the time, I have never met a player that didn't love to play the game. You could say, okay, we're going to pay you 20000 this year to play the game, and if that were the going rate, they would all say, I'm in. You know, and people lose fact because of the big money at the major league level now. The players love to be there, and they love to play, and they're locked in. Uh, and I always try to tell youth league coaches when I talk to them, you know, we need to tip our hat to you because every guy that we see on a major league field had people like you developing that love for the game and developing their baseball skills and helping them mature as people. And they are integral in that process in getting players to play on up at higher levels. So youth baseball and the people that are willing to put in the time and the effort to help kids, uh, they are truly the grassroots of the game. Sean, what are you seeing with some of the challenges right now? Well, I think I think you guys touched on it. Um, you know, I've always said if, if if a player loves to play the game, you don't don't ever underestimate what they can do. You know, their abilities are going to say, you know, the, the analytics of, of where everything's going now. But, you know, to measure how much a kid loves a game is really hard. Um, and you got to kind of get in deeper than the surface with it and see where they're at. And, uh, you know, sometimes just being around the game, you wonder how much kids are out there because they want to be out there and how much you know, they're, they're forced to be out there and, uh, you know, how much they're programmed and how much that they have the ability to think for themselves to, you know, kind of play the game in a, in a, a you know, a stress-free environment, you know, learning, learning from the mistakes that they make and, and, uh, you know, just, just going through the, the trials and errors of, of development. And, uh, you know, we, we program a lot of these kids to, you know, do as we tell them and, and how, how it's supposed to be played. The, the, there's a high high organization um, in a lot of the stuff that we do as far as play the game, and and some of it just has to be the, you know, the Sandlot version of, you know, letting them get out there and and, and fi figure it out. And uh, you know, they, they just watch them at they, practice. Yeah, yeah. They'll develop. You'll the figure out if a kid really likes baseball or loves baseball. No just doubt. watch them at practice. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, you started out in the Phillies organization part-time, 1977, got with the Braves, then back with the Phillies, now with the Royals. Are we missing some of that mentorship maybe that we used to have? I always think about like the old guard kind of mentored the, the new guard coming through. Are we missing a little bit of that, not just on the professional side, but maybe also on the amateur side as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally think that's a, a huge factor. Uh, and part of it is because we have leaned toward analytics to such a high degree now. Uh, and everybody's using it and there's nothing wrong with it. There's value, absolute value to it. Uh, but what has happened, it has pushed a lot of veteran coaches and managers out. 
because they don't understand and can't relate necessarily well to the numbers. Uh, and so we have a lot of really young instructors in professional baseball now. Uh, a lot of them have very little experience. And uh, I think we've lost an element there where we don't have older mentors uh, in many cases. Uh, as I said earlier, baseball is a game of failure. It's a hard game to be successful at. And sometimes the player not only needs skill development, but he just sometimes the player needs some reassurance. He needs an arm around the shoulders. Hey, I know you're scuffling, but we believe in you. Relax, play the game. And it's hard when someone is only three or four years older than the player sometimes to provide that. Or if you have an older guy that's been in baseball a long time, has been through and seen highs and lows that players have coming through the minor leagues, uh, I think they can provide some of that sometimes. They have a feel for the game that some of the young guys just haven't had the experience uh, to develop yet. So I think we're currently missing that at the pro level. I think we're missing it at the college level now. Uh, money takes away a little bit of that. And that's a big thing, especially on the college side. You look at the amount of money that's being thrown around for coaches. Like money, money takes away a yes. little bit of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a must win environment at the major college level now uh, that it, it's really hard for coaches to be patient and say, okay, I know you're scuffling. We're going to keep trying to work with you on this. We're, we're in it to develop you. Well, they don't have time to keep trying to develop you if you're not producing pretty quickly because they have to win. And that's nothing. I'm not, I'm not hammering on college but, programs. But that's where we all. have to relay that to youth coaches. They're not at that level. Exactly. They're, they're not at a win yes. at all cost at the youth level. They're not going to get fired if they're not winning games at the youth level. So they, they need to, I know everybody sees that on TV, but I think that's where we get a disconnect with the youth coaches where they feel like they have to approach it that way when that's not the case at, at the lower levels. Like it's not win at all costs. You need to be focused on developing and developing joy for the game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the reality is if you ask, 10 kids off a youth league team in September, what their record was for the spring and summer, they're not going to be able to tell you. They won't remember. So is it really that important that we win every game or is it more important that we develop those kids as people and as players and keep the big picture in mind uh, and understand what we're really trying to do rather than just going out and, you know, I want to be the, the big dog in town because my team's 14 and one or something. Is that really that important? You know? And Sean, for you all too, like what are some of the life skills development pieces that you're adding in and, and really with the facility that you have there in Kansas city, it's about providing a place for, for kids to show up too, and gives them better options to show up rather than being in their neighborhoods. Correct. Yeah, I mean, one of the plans that we had was to bring communities together, you know, and uh, grow the game of baseball in different parts of the city. And, uh, you know, the life skills of, of you know, just, just dealing with failure and, and, and learning, learning how to be good at something that you, you like to do and the work that it takes to be able to succeed and, 
and uh, you know a little bit of the the grind, you know, and, and the stick to itiveness that you need to have. Um, you know, we've talked earlier a, a little bit about um, you know just the the self management and you know the dealing with emotions and being part of a team and 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 uh, making sure that your teammates you know goals are more important than your own um, and just you know being being a part of something that's that's bigger than yourself. You know, um, I think those are some of the biggest ones that we can we can drive home to, to, to the kids in our program. And you both took a pretty traditional path in your careers. You kind of worked your way up on both sides, you know, Sean on the amateur side, Mike, you on the pro side, are you, Mike, you talked about that with younger people getting jobs. Now, are we missing a little bit of that timeline? Cause there is a process to your career, correct. Of, of building that timeline over time. Absolutely. No question. And I think it has, uh, and some guys have been very successful early on, but I think there's something to be said for managing people for a period of time before you become a farm director or a general manager. Uh, you know, as I started, my first management time was going from an area scout to a regional supervisor, and I managed about four scouts. Well, then I moved to a national cross checkers job. Now all of a sudden I'm helping manage the whole scouting staff. Then I go to a farm director and I'm managing a whole scouting department. Then I become an assistant GM and I'm managing 200 players in the minor leagues and about a hundred staff members. So I think working through that process prepares you better to be a general manager uh, just because a big part of the job is dealing with people, both major league level, minor league, scouting, and getting that group to work together uh, and understand uh, whatever the team philosophy is and the way you want to go about things. And if you are thrust into one of those higher positions quickly without having done anything at the lower levels, it's really hard to grasp. You may be very intelligent. You may understand the game. But if you haven't managed people, there's an element there that I think gets missed on, and I think you become less efficient as an organization. It's an emotional intelligence piece. Like yes. You look yes. at the most successful people now, they have soft skills too. Everybody talks about those hard skills and you got to develop all these, but it's the soft skills now that people have that they can manage people and talk to people and talk to anybody with different views. And it's a tough job there too. Do you feel like the farm director job is the hardest job in professional baseball, Mike? It was absolutely the toughest job I've had. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. It, it's it's literally twenty four seven during the season. Uh, as I said, you're managing two hundred players between the ages of seventeen and say twenty eight, and you're managing a hundred staff members who all have their personal issues with wives and kids and what have you. So it literally uh, you live on the phone. Uh, Every night's a short sleep night because somebody got injured in uh, Scranton and we got to get somebody there by tomorrow afternoon and what have you. So, yes, it, it is an extremely difficult job. Uh, it's funny because when Chris Getz was uh, with us and was offered the White Sox job, we visited about it and I saw him at the next winter meetings and he said, wow, boy, were you right. Uh and Mitch Myers finding out the very same thing now with us, with the Royals. So, yes, it is uh, 
you, you really don't have much of a life outside baseball during the season if you're running the minor leagues. Sean, what did you take from your time at PBR? Well, um, I, le- I learned a lot about, um, you know, being be uh, evaluating young, younger players. You know, um, it, 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 it was a grind, you know, trying to cover a, a territory. So it was, it was really my first, you know, experience in, in trying to see and cover a, a, a territory and, and the high school talent that, that was around and, and managing time and, and being able to see the people within the, within the, uh, my, my territory, you know, and, and making sure that I have had those bases covered and then just trying to decipher, you know, between the, the different talent, talent levels and, and trying to find out where those players were at within my region. So it was really my first, you know, kind of, um, experience in, in, in scouting. For a parent out there that's freaking out about their kids ranking, what would you tell them right now? Oh man, I, I would say that, you know, just continue to get better and, you know, (laughs) That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Even when you, you don't get like it, get better. Uh, yeah, just continue to keep playing. And you know, I mean, gosh, I, I wish I had a crystal ball. You know, and I'm sure Mike could say the same thing. But uh, you know, kids at well, you 16, get 10, 10 different baseball old. guys in a room. They're gonna have ten different opinions on on who no, can yeah. play and who can't play. Yeah, I mean, just just let 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 uh, let the game sort it out. You know, just keep loving the game and loving to play and loving to compete. And Sean, you've t- you've touched every level of amateur baseball. I mean, what really have you taken from from all of those levels to what you're doing now? Well, I mean, I, I you know, I've, I've been blessed to be around some really good people. You know, from Dayton and and Mike mentioned uh, Mitch Meyer. You know, I'm my, my son's playing with his son, and just you know, I I feel like I can learn every day from different people. And you know, one of the things that I I would just say is the youth the youth level. You know, everybody wants to be labeled an evaluator and we need more teachers at the, at the younger age level. So if we could label ourselves as teachers, as 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 opposed to evaluators, you know, in, in the youth game, the game's going to prosper and we're going to have more, you know, more kids playing at a higher level and, and kids are going to enjoy the game more. And we need to see it through a through a teacher's lens instead of a, an evaluator's lens. Yeah, you're and, more uh, of a facilitator. You know, you're facilitating an experience yeah. for them. Just you need to, you know, I think that sidetracks some younger parents about not getting into it because they, they hear the word coach and they're like, well, maybe I never played the game and I don't know much about the game. At those at the younger levels, you're a facilitator. You're facilitating a good Absolutely. experience for them in the game. Yeah, you're introducing them and 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 getting that love for the game going. How is JJ doing? JJ's doing fine. He's one of my favorites. Uh, obviously, the big league club's not playing as well as we'd like right now. Uh, but JJ was well prepared for this job. Uh, and so he, he's hanging in. He, he has a plan. Uh, he knows the big picture, and we're staying with it. So, so he's doing uh, very well, actually. You know, Mike, with your transition to, to doing all of those things, how much of a timeline was there for you to get comfortable with the job that you were doing as you moved up? Realistically, probably three years. The first couple of years, they're just keep they're, new things keep, keep popping up on you that you're not expecting. Uh, by the third time around, you're kind of more familiar with the cycle, what issues may come up at what part of the year. Uh, and so you're ready to make adjustments better uh, by the time you get to probably that third time around. 
How did you handle scout disagreements in the draft room with any of that? Because you're going to have disagreements because, again, like I said, you have 10 different baseball people in the room. They're going to have to have 10 different opinions on on who can play and who can't play or who can pitch and who can't pitch. You know, How did you handle maybe some of those discrepancies between views and opinions? Yeah, no, you definitely want disagreements. Uh, if everybody agrees, I don't need everybody in the room, you know, so – and that was kind of the atmosphere I tried to create. Hey, I want you, I want your honest opinion. And everybody is going to, we're part of a team here. And the goal at the end of the day is to get the best player we can get in each round that we select. So my job is to filter everything. And I want to hear everything you have to say. And at the end of the, of the discussion, I'll make a decision and we'll place the player on the board where I think he fits. And then we move on to the next guy and you're going to lose some arguments. You're going to win some arguments, uh, but it's not about any individual in the room. It's about just getting it as close to right as we can get. Are you seeing more of a blending with the player development side with scouting as well too? Cause it, it kind of seemed like in the past they were pretty separate from departments, but now it seems like some orgs are starting to blend, you know, my thing, because, you know, you'd be on the road with these area scouts and a kid would get drafted. And then if he wasn't performing well, they would try to throw player development under the bus. And it's like, yep. I don't know if that was an ego thing trying to cover like who was drafted. But it just seems like there's a little bit more of a blending where the player development people, because they do have to coach these players. And maybe they, they see a side of it at the minor league level that maybe the scouts don't always see. It just seems like there's maybe a little bit more of a blending between those two departments now. Yeah, yeah, I think there absolutely is. Uh, we generally try to crisscross some guys. Uh, I started doing that in Philadelphia. I would take uh, a couple of our development staff before spring training and send them to ride in the car for five days with a couple of our area scouts. And then during spring training, I would make sure we took time during meetings. Okay, who'd you see? What'd you think about him? Uh you got to make a quick decision now. You may not get back to see him again. Where do you think he's going to fall in the draft? And, you know, and then after the draft, we would take some area scouts and put them with a rookie club or two rookie clubs. And you're out there every day. If you're in Florida or Arizona, you're out there early in the morning and you're going through the work with them and you're there during the game. And you get a feel that some of these kids, yeah, we've gone over this five times and they still haven't figured it out yet. You know, so yeah, I think you have to do a lot of that. Uh, but it was very interesting once that process gets going, guys aren't afraid to pick up the phone. A manager, well, this kid's scuffling right now. I'm going to call the scout. Maybe there's something going on at home that I don't know about. But you have to break down those barriers so that everybody again understands, hey, we're all part of the same team here. And our jobs are to make this player as good as we can make him. He's part of our organization now. So uh, you have to create that atmosphere. And I think more organizations are much more aware of that now. Uh, yeah, the old days of, well, he could play when I put him on the bus. And then the development guys say, how in the world could you have sent this guy to us? You know. So uh, those days are kind of over, I think, and, and there's a, a much better blending of the two departments. 
Once I made up my mind, I liked a kid. I tried to not go back and see them until after he committed because I just felt like I would start to pick them apart. Um, you know, and and yeah, if I didn't like them, I would maybe go back to see if maybe I missed it. But once I made that decision that I liked a kid, I was like, okay, I'm in on him. I don't need to see him again because I would just I just felt like I would just start picking him apart then, try to talk myself out of it. No question. Yeah, yeah, you can see a player too much without a doubt. I learned over time as a scouting director, if, if you know, typical first rounder, we might have five or six different looks at him. And I would try to take the positives of what each scout saw. And unless there were negatives that were just absolutely consistent among three or four or five of those guys, I would kind of toss the negative out. Okay, typical amateur player. He wasn't good at that on a given day. But I would take those pluses and say, this is what he can be if it all fits together. So I tried to utilize the positive and limit the negatives unless it was, like I said, a stretch of where three or four guys all saw the same negative. Now I've got to take a step back and say, do I need to reevaluate this? And that's where your experience as an area scout comes into play, correct? Because you had watched a lot of games up to that point. How long did it take you to develop that piece where it was like, okay, I can go watch a kid and maybe it reminds me. I know analytics guys don't like talking about comps, but I still think that comps work because imprinting is an actual thing. If somebody looks like somebody that's maybe a big leaguer, he probably has a chance. If he walks like a duck, talks like a duck. How long did it take you to develop that piece, your eye of where – okay, I can go watch a pitcher from the side and go watch a hitter from the side and they're going to stick out and remind me of somebody that I've seen along the way. Yeah, I think that takes five to seven years to start developing, a, you know, a decent library in your head. Uh, and once you get to that point, and it really helps as a scout, uh, you don't want to fail, but the failures make you learn. Because if you sign a kid and you really believe in him, and the kid doesn't get out of a ball, I take a step back and say, okay, what did I miss here? There's something obviously that I missed. Yeah. So what do I need to do to get better? So I think it's a process uh, that you can only speed up to a certain point. Uh, you literally have to see a lot of players to develop that library of comparisons. And I am a believer in comparisons. Uh, the analytics are great at the college level. And, and they're very useful at the high school level. In my mind, you throw them out because the level of competition varies so much from area to area uh, to school size. A 6A school in California is going to be different than a 2A school in Connecticut. And so the analytics really don't tell me much at all on amateur players in my mind. So if it's an SEC conference player versus an ACC conference player, whole different deal. Now the numbers start to mean a little something to me. So I think you have to filter and understand where the analytics fit and where they don't. Sean, you and Darwin were instrumental in getting us there for the Barnstormers events, and I do appreciate that. And fabulous, but... You know, how has that side for you guys kind of evolved over time? And I mean, it did start with Dayton. Dayton's huge on community outreach. Is that really the impetus of everything was Dayton being like, hey, this is what we're going to do? Yeah, I mean, our, our mission statement for our sport development is to just be stewards of the game and to grow the game. 
Um, you know, we have pillars that we try to hit. One of them, obviously, being coaching development. Um, our our player development uh, department is is played an integral role in all of it. Being able to have you know ABCA barnstorming in, and we've had you know we, we do coaches and coffee programs where in the winter time, you know Alex Zuma will talk about some hitting and, and and some of the analytics of the game and what it means for for youth and high school baseball. You know, we, we've had uh, rules. We go over rules all the time with 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 coaches because, you know, at the youth level, it's it's you know, there's a lot of those rules, those obscure rules come about a lot in youth games. You know, the lower you go down and and just the development of, of overall coaching, you know, with with uh, with the stuff that we've done. So it's it's been a big piece of, of what we do um, in just trying to develop all, all facets, facets of the game uh, within our community. Uh, not only just the player development piece, but but coaching development as well. Um, you know that goes with with any uh, you know the ABCA barnstorming programs or anything else that we could do internally in in the city. Dayton's still one of the best talks I've ever uh, heard um, about a life people. of service and why it's important to help your community. And um, I mean, what what drew both of you guys to that a life of service? Because scouting, coaching, it is a life of service. You are providing a service. What drew both of you guys to a life of service? For me, it was, you know, I look back as a kid, you don't appreciate it. But I look back now to all the people who helped me develop a love for the game. And so for me, it's an opportunity to maybe give back and help some other kids uh, develop that same love for the game and, and things that help me grow and mature into a responsible adult. Uh, and so as you get older, you, I think you appreciate more those people that gave their time uh, to help you make those advancements. So for me, it's an opportunity to kind of give back and hopefully do some of the same things that some people did for me. Mike, you started as a part-time scout. Who nudged you to be like, hey, I think you should be a full-time scout? A guy by the name of George Bradley, who George has passed away now. George had scouted me in American Legion baseball. Uh, didn't see him for about seven or eight years. I was a grad assistant at the University of South Alabama, and he came in to cross-check some players, recognized me. Uh, and for young players, it's important because he liked the way I went about playing the game, and he, he thought some of the characteristics that he had seen in me as a player would make me a good scout. And so he, he hired me on a part-time basis with the Phillies, uh, and then I was able to move on when Atlanta had a full-time opening in the Midwest and so on. Uh, but George, without George, I, my goal at that time was to be a division one head coach. Uh, and had it not been for George, I would have never gotten into pro ball probably. And Sean, what drew you to life of service? No, I, I probably echo what, uh, what Mike was saying. I, I think the game, the game, you know, just draws you to it. I got some, you know, DNA in me, you know, about um, uh, baseball lifer and just trying to give back to, you know, my experiences to the, to the youth and, and uh, you know, just, just grow the game. It's a, it's the best game in the world. And, and that's the way I see it. And I think it needs to prosper and kids need to play it and they, they need to respect it and they need to pass it on to the next generation and, and, and go to games of all levels. And, um, you know, just in, enjoy the life skills that baseball teaches because it's it's 
it's like no other, in my opinion. Um, just the, the trial and error and the failures and the the triumphs, the wins, the losses, it's all, you know, uh, microcosm of life. And um, I really think there's some good values that you can learn in life and in baseball. And, uh, you know, I just, it's my love and I, I, I want other people to enjoy it and care about it the same as I do. And Sean, with the development piece, was it always going to be baseball and softball? Yes. Yeah. We, we, we are, uh, we're building out softball. We're, we're as, um, you know, devoted to softball as we are baseball. So everything that we're doing on the baseball side is, is, is the same as what we're doing in softball. You have a beautiful facility in Arizona. I ran a barnstormers event at Chandler Gilbert. So I, I drove out there. It was a ways away from, from Chandler to talk to John Waggle because you had some of your prospects there working out. And uh, it was pre-spring training, so I did go over there. Mike, is it too nice for minor leaguers now? I tell you what, it's unbelievable how it's changed the last few I years. I mean, they get more meal money now. They're, the housing's taken care of. Is, yes. is it too cushy for them now? I tell you that it's there, there's no reason now, uh, if they don't take advantage of what they have, uh, it's their own fault. Uh, you know, a registered dietitian with every club, uh, we provide healthy meals. Uh, the standards have improved so much in the minor leagues, the quality, uh, the bat that you can actually see in the indoor batting cages now in the minor league complexes and places. So, you know, all of those things have improved so much the last few years. Yeah, the minor league manager said the housing piece was the biggest adjustment for those players last year. They weren't scrambling, trying to find housing coming out of spring training. And and, and when they move yes. up levels, they're not scrambling to try to find housing. They felt like from a quality of life issue for the minor leaguers, they felt like that was the best adjustment that was made for the minor league players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think especially the double AA, A, triple A level guys who by then are starting to have young families and what have you. It was a huge, huge upgrade for them. Yeah. Sean, for the switch to going from college to what you're doing now, I mean, ultimately, what was that decision for you? Is it a family decision? What was the decision uh, for you? It's just the right move. It's just the path, you know, I'm following the following the the path of water, and that's where it's taken me. Yeah. You know, I, I was uh, just blessed enough to be in the right spot at the right time when when uh, the Royals started their scout teams and, and uh, you know, just – being being part of it all is 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 been been great. It's been a great learning experience for me and put me around some really good baseball people. So selfishly, you know, you you, you try to surround yourself with good people, and I've been lucky enough to do that. Mike, is it better having kids or grandkids? Oh, grandkids. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, you spoil them, you send them home. Yeah, yeah, no question. Sean, you're in the ABCA Youth Committee meeting this year for the first time, and I appreciate you jumping mm -hmm. on the committee with us. It means yeah, a lot. I mean, we've got the Reds in there now, you all, the White Sox. It's huge, huge deal for us to get you guys in there because I think it – It's big for us too. You know, when people hear, okay, these professional organizations are on the youth committee, I think it adds some credence to what we're trying to do on the youth side where it's like, okay, these organizations care about youth baseball. They really do, and so – their recommendations you should probably pay attention to. I know we've been around for almost 80 years now, so we do have some street credit built up. But, again, when you can have professional organizations in there, it may, makes a huge difference for us. But what were your what were your thoughts coming out of the, the youth committee meeting in Nashville this year? Well, I, I was just – I was blown away about the passion of the people that were in the committee 
and their ability, you know, to to uh, impact their parts of the the country. And you know, as far as you know, sometimes we seem like we're we're really far apart on on you know how youth development should go, but we're we're all pretty passionate and pretty close to what we want to what to accomplish with everything. You know, it's just trying to tie those those you know pieces together, and and uh, it was just great to see a, a room full of people that that really cared. Like I said earlier about, um, you know, cared about the game as much as we do and as much as I do personally. And, you know, just seeing the the, the growth of youth and the ideas that are that are out there and, and, the, and the ability to put them into play. Yeah, I think because everybody has challenges, but I, I do feel like yeah. we're getting the right people in the room now. It's a very diverse group now, uh, much different than when I first showed up. You know, it seemed like it was a, a pretty similar demographic when I showed up and now we're adding Females, minorities, uh, Major League Baseball, people that are running House League. I think we're getting the right people that are all passionate about trying to help the game at, at any level. I think we're starting to get the right people in that room. We've got to continue to get better. And, um, I mean, what would your hope be in the next five years for what we're able to do with the youth committee? Uh, I think I think providing providing leagues that, that onboard kids that, that can, you know, uh, just – grasp all, all all kids all youth players to play and then you know they can find their way through the game on on their interest level and their ability level and uh you know just just have a place and a home and feel like you know baseball's uh you know a, a sport that, that that they can they can play and and strive uh, you know and succeed in and you know be whatever you know I, know I know we talked about you know changing a ball size and and you know the the success rate putting more balls in play and uh, making the game more enjoyable, like Mike was talking about, with with less standing around and just more action, you know. So those so supporting those leagues and and you know getting that uh, fundamental piece, you know, really ingrained in the kids to where now, you know, if if the game takes you to higher levels, then you have the ability to do that, um, and and you know you have the the confidence to be able to do it because, as we all know, you know this this game can wear on your confidence a lot and. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's learning. It's a, it's a I, great, yeah. I try it's to reframe failure to learning now for, yeah. for the younger kids. Like it's it's not yeah. failure, it's learning. You know, the, the game is going to show you what you need to get better at. It's a learning deal. So, you know, you're either successful or you're learning. You know, I think that's a great way to reframe it for the young kids. It's like, okay, the game's showing you something, so you need to learn something from it. And, and it's not a failure thing. It's just all part of the process of growing and, and finding mastery. You know, that self-mastery yeah, that, that all players find, the ones that reach the highest level, they find that self-mastery and, and mm -hmm. they're able to learn from their failures and, and move on. And, and, and well, Mike, that's the other question about a big leaguer. They have really short memories, correct? Absolutely. They don't focus on yeah. their failures. No. I think no, about Ricky no. Henderson. I mean, he talked about himself <laughs> in the third person. I think they there's a good story about Ricky Henderson. He would never watch bad at bats. He only watched his good ones because I think that's a great thing. Like, see yourself yeah. see yourself having success and doing well and you talked about guys struggling in the minor leagues i read a good story about lou gehrig lou gehrig wanted to quit in the yankees organization um so they had to send an old-time scout down to talk to him and reframe that lou gehrig thought he should get a hit every time and when he wasn't he thought he was he, he stunk and he should quit so they sent in the yankees sent an old-time scout to explain to him that hey three out of ten is good four out of ten probably hasn't ever really happened outside of Ted Williams. So you shouldn't really focus on four out of 10 or even yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. 
without a doubt, no question. Uh, it's interesting you say that. Uh, we were having that conversation with uh, a Royals 11U uh, team yesterday, that very conversation. And you have to understand that you're going to fail a lot. Uh, and if you just think in terms of uh, that, use the actual word fail, that's not what we're doing. This is a process. Yeah. And we're always preaching, understand you're, you're in a process here and you're not going to go from point A to point B in two practices. This is going to take time, and we're going to keep working at it and having fun as we do it, and you're going to see yourself make little steps along the way where you're going to keep progressing, and eventually we'll get it, and then we'll move on to the next thing that we need to work on. So trying to get kids to understand that, I think, is really important. And I love working youth camp still. I do love it. And how much fun is it for you, Mike? You've been on the pro side forever. And, Sean, you're on the college side. How much fun is it working with the, with the young kids now? It's great for me because the enthusiasm, uh, they're naive. Uh, they want to come up and talk about big leaguers. It kind of reminds me of the years when I was 10, 11, 12 years old and waiting for the weekly arrival of the sporting news because that was the only baseball news I could get for the most part. Uh, and I'd watch my uh, Saturday afternoon game of the week because that was the only major league game I could see. This week in so baseball. It's, it's refreshing. This week in baseball was my favorite thing on Saturday mornings yes. was watching this week in baseball. Yes. That was my favorite yeah. thing yeah. about Saturday mornings was watching this week mm -hmm. in baseball. Yeah, it's huge. And baseball now they have bunch. these Remember kids the baseball come bunch? Baseball bunch. Johnny Bench, San Diego right. Chicken. <laughs> yep. Yep. They right. still yep. they still show the video of the I think it was the chicken trying to bunt and he 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 whiffed it and a poor kid got hit by the ball. <laughs> yeah. that, that video resurfaces yep. everywhere. There was a good one of, of yep. Rick Dempsey that was uh the the replay of the George Brett Pintar. That was a good one back in the old day. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do you do you guys have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was gonna maybe set you back, but looking back now was maybe something that pushed you actually forward? For me, I thought I was gonna be a major league player. And then I tore a rotator cuff my freshman year in junior college after just having been drafted by St. Louis. And I rehabbed it to the point that I could play at the division two level, but I knew that, you know that dream was not going to happen. So I, my goal then became to be a good coach uh, and had no idea that I was going to end up in scouting and move on to other things. Uh, but for me, I had to come to the realization, okay, plan A is, is probably not going to happen now. So is there a plan B that I can do and that I'm happy with? And I was very fortunate in getting to live my plan B and really enjoy uh, my work for 45 plus years. Well, how many World Series rings do you have? Uh, six. <laughs> Which you have never got as a player. No chance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Six yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Can anybody? I would have had to be on those old Yankees. Besides Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, the 27 Yankees, is there anybody out there that can say they have six World Series rings? Yeah, I, I would say it's a very small number of people uh, that could say they have six. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, do you have a fail-forward moment? 
Man, I, mine, mine would just be, man, when I was younger and uh, going through grad school, I was going to be a teacher and a high school coach and kind of got into lessons and and did some stuff and it's kind of catapulted me a little bit. But, you know, where, where, I, where I was at as a, a graduate assistant and, and trying to become a coach, um, you know, I had some some setbacks a little bit to where, you know, uh, and just got into doing some stuff privately and, and being around good people has put me where I'm at. I'm very thankful. Because building champions, I mean, it just seemed like when I got to Iowa, they weren't around. And then you started to hear, like, in a good way, it's like, okay, building champions is going in Kansas City and they're starting to get this thing rolling. Yeah, we had some we had some good players early um, and and uh, some success with those teams and, and, and you know, kind of built a built a good crew around those guys. Sean, with the long-term athlete development piece with the younger kids, are you? I know you guys have a strength and conditioning facility there. I mean, what are you guys focusing on with the young kids from a long-term athlete development piece? Right um, under under our sport development, we we do have we're connected with KU Med um, and you know uh, Dr. Key, the Royals the Royals doc has been very instrumental in, in youth youth injuries and and being able to you know, diagnose them early, um, get them into him. Uh, you know, our sports medicine piece with Dylan Wilson um, under our, our sport development is all about arm care, um, you know, um, pitch, pitch count. We, we follow pitch count, the USA pitch count really well. But, you know, I mean, we, we also are dealing with, you know, kids that, that have knee issues, the Osgood sliders and the, and the growth of, of all those things. And, and you know, we, we talk about arms all the time, but, you know, we're, we got to get you know, the core and the, and the strength piece of that. And so we have a, we, we have a, a sports medicine piece in this that includes, you know, the strength and conditioning and making sure that there's a total body, you know, growth here and not just arm, but, um, you know, with our connection with KU Med, I'm actually jumping on and doing a podcast for our website with KU Med um, here next week on talking about some of the youth injuries that, that, that are, um, you know, in, in youth sports, not just baseball, but what we see. So um, trying to just trying to diagnose them early and, and, and trying not to put a workload on them over a weekend. And, you know, I mean, you play three games on a Sunday, four games on a Sunday and the workload of youth kids and, and the fatigue is probably the most um, prevalent piece to injury. Right. So how we how we manage that workload on them and, uh, you know, get them get them to high school healthy and, uh, you know, just hopefully get that message into the into the parents um, and through the coaches. There's a really good research paper that came out about 15 years ago that they they researched Tommy John and shoulder injuries, and what mm -hmm. they found is like a majority of that was instability in the hips because it works up the chain from a kinetic standpoint. The energy does. So what they found is like a lot of it was hip immobility where there was an imbalance. Yeah between the hips, which is what was causing arm injuries more than the arm itself. So, and I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle with a lot of people from a training standpoint is like, you have to make sure that the hips are, and the knees are aligned as well, because all that energy moves up the chain. And if there's an imbalance downstairs, it's going to happen in the arm at some point, and they're probably going to blow out at some point. So make and sure you're focused on these, the lower half also. A lot of it is starting at 13, you know, yes. and it just, it's, it's starting to, go up into high school and by the time we get them in high school and that that's already a problem yeah uh, we can hit it earlier and, and and kind of understand it sean you said you were using a, a modified baseball correct with your, your we, young we, guys 
Well, we we have we have used uh, Playfinity, and play the Playfinity ball is is uh, something that we did a, a PG Cares camp a few weeks ago. Um, we had over 350 youth players here, and and just trying to uh, you know help help some uh, help some some kids get on board into the game, you know. And um, what the Playfinity ball does is a Bluetooth that hooks up to your your phone. And uh, it, it monitors how well and accurate you are and how much you're catching it. So, you know, it's, it's not a velocity ball. It's just how well you're throwing it and how well you're catching it. And it turns into a competition and you want to see energy out of kids. It's it turned up the heat a little bit on those kids. And, and there was some emphasis, emphasis on playing catch that you really can't get with a regular baseball. And that's what we did. And and uh, it was probably uh, one of the best stations of, of our of our camp and uh you know the kids it's it's a brand new concept out of norway and uh we're actually trying to they've been in our office by the way yeah they've come and met with us so they did fun like a gamification piece especially Mm -hmm. for like moms and dads that are going to go out and play catch with their kids that it does you know mike alluded to that kids like video games now which is cool And, and by the way mike i played more arcade games than anybody else probably when i was growing up i i just had sure. to ride my bike to washington square mall in evansville to, to actually play arcade games because we couldn't afford yeah, yeah. we couldn't afford an atari i mean the atari has been around since the early 80s so we've had video games for a long time but it's just a little different piece now but if the more you can gamify stuff like that the play finny ball is, is tremendous and hey where's that information feeding into because i know there it does kind of ding and click a little bit too, right? The Playfinity ball. Yeah, so they're developing some of the programming now, from what I understand. Um, our coordinator for sport development, Andrew Richards, has been the one that's been working closer with them than I have. Uh, we've just been implementing it, and and they're developing some of the software as as we speak. And um, you know, we just got it on the uh, on the front door with it, and and it's been phenomenal. And they're still, you know, working on some quirks of of things, but it's it's. Uh, you know, as far as putting a little bit of a competition into the into gameplay and catch and just fundamental, I mean, it was it's it's unbelievable. Mike, you were in a really high stress job. Did you have any evening or morning routines that you would do to to kind of keep yourself level, or was it just white knuckling it for the the many years that you were making tough decisions in professional baseball? You know, my favorite thing kind of disappeared. I would love to get up and have a cup of coffee and read the morning paper. And that would kind of be an escape for me to just look at what else was going on in the world besides baseball and our organization and whatever. Uh, But now without the morning newspaper, it's a little different. Uh, Now I get up and look at my phone and drink the coffee uh, and read, uh, you know, we'll read a few articles. Uh, but that was my few minutes of, uh, I guess they call it quiet time. You know, yeah, that, that's yeah. a big part of longevity for people is having some sort of quiet time, and it might not be in the mornings. Not everybody's a morning person, but have some yeah. sort of quiet time throughout the day where you can get settled in because because it's hectic. The world is hectic right now. What's going on outside yeah. is hectic. There's yes. a lot of noise, so you need to have some quiet time to be able to to recenter yourself. Too, Sean, no do you doubt. have anything? No, I, I I try to take a little bit of time after the kids go to bed just to catch up on on world events and and uh, you know kind of get away from baseball because you can fill up your your whole day with with baseball whether it be in a professional level, level high, high school or college and you know just trying to find a an exit from it a little bit you know. 
What are some final thoughts or something that I should ask you guys that I didn't? Mike, I'll have you go first, and then Sean, you can finish up. Uh, for anyone who's interested, our uh, Royals Athletic Development website, we have a lot, an array of things on there that might help any youth coaches. Uh, we have a coach's corner, uh, a thing on uh, athletic medicine. I mean, there are various topics there. Uh, we have some podcasts recorded. Uh, Rusty Koontz, who is an outstanding outfield base running guy, for example, uh, Dayton, what have you. Uh, so there's really good information available on that website. Yeah, and just to just to add to that, um, you know, our, our our goal and our mission is to to you know be stu be good stewards of the game and and to grow the game. And so we're filling up, you know, any information that we can possibly get to coaches, players, parents. We're building out, uh, you know, a, a, a parent curriculum through our through our website to ask those questions on, you know, kind of what's important now. Um, you know, because parents have you know, the anxiety of, of comparison and, and all the stuff that's going on. So, um, you know, being able to build out that parent piece too, so they can kind of navigate this, this, uh, youth baseball space and in, in their own kind of accord. So, um, if there's any questions that people would have about our program, you know, just, just jump on there and, and feel free to reach out to me and, uh, you know, we'll be able to help them. It's not just a, a Kansas city or regional based thing. I mean, obviously we're here, to grow the game and wherever that, wherever that takes us, you know, we're, we're definitely here in the winter time, you know, we'll have uh, all kinds of stuff that uh, uh, is available, not only Rusty Koontz and, you know, Alex Zumwalt, um, there's, there's a lot of player development people that will get involved in, in what we're doing so we can get the best information to anybody who wants it for really, no cost. I really appreciate your guys' time. Yeah. I know you guys are busy, but I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with me. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Well, thank you so yeah, much for having enjoyed us. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. I've always had a lot of respect for the Royals and their mission of servant leadership and community involvement. We all always show a gratitude to what Dayton Moore started with the Royals and now what Sean, Mike, and the entire Royals organization is doing for community development. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca or direct message me via the MyBC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.